Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. My name is uh, Rob, and uh, Peter asked me if I would come along this morning so we can have, a, I think, a, a well-deserved break. They're down in Dunsborough for a few days. So the last uh, few weeks we've been doing a, a series of studies on the book of Acts and uh, with the title Excellent Church. And so we've looked at the church being a renewed church, a dedicated church, reverent, connected, a giving church, a cheerful church, a growing church, a bold church, And today we're considering Lakeside as being a transforming church. And uh, I'm going to talk about why it's not a transformed church, but a transforming church in a little later. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at the the book of Acts. Can someone tell me why is it called the book of Acts? Sorry? Acts of the Apostles. That's true. The Acts of the Apostles. Now the The epistles are not the wives of the apostles. That's something totally different. The Acts of the Apostles, which is true, but I think rather it's it's a wrongly titled book. I think it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and and through other people. So the focus really is uh, on the Holy Spirit. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, whether that's a a hard copy like this or on your phone, uh, we're going to do a bit of a, a skim across the book of Acts as we come to the end of this series. So chapter 2, we, we learn about the early church being developed uh, in Jerusalem. And we read in Acts 2 verse 41 that there were 3,000 people added to the church that day and baptised. Now, assuming that there are 12 apostles... And I'm, I'm a bit of a maths freak. I like mental arithmetic. There are 3,000 people getting baptised, 12 apostles. How many each? Did someone say 250? Correct. Right. Now, if they don't give their testimony, that's going to take at least a minute each. So there's about four hours of non-stop baptisms, 12 people in different parts of the river, uh, dunking people. And local people have to think, What is going on here? What is happening? 3,000 people added to the church that day. That's, for me, just so exciting to see those sorts of things happening. Wonders, miracles, people are devoted to the teaching. They want to get into the word of God. They're having fellowship. And the community, of course, is starting to grow. Holy Spirit is building his little church, this baby church. And so transforming transforming begins when the Holy Spirit prompts people to search for God and they respond by looking for God. Where is God? How do I know God? This yearning that we have for some sense of meaning and purpose to our life. In Acts chapter 4, we read that Peter and John are in prison And yet the church is growing. The focus is not on any individual person, but in fact the Holy Spirit working in and through 
everybody in that fellowship. People are being healed of their illnesses. There's miracles. People are getting who are sick, no hope, suddenly are made well. The church is growing. And here's one of my favourite passages of all of the book of Acts, and it's Acts 6-7, and it says, A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Do you hear that? A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These are Jewish priests. They're the tribe of Levi. They were born into ritual and tradition. Their whole childhood, their life, is about religious practice. It's their career. It's their future. Something huge has happened for not just a couple of priests, but a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. They ditched their career. They ditched their identity. They ditched their social standing. They ditched their career, their life, their roots to follow Jesus. That is huge. And we we don't really grasp, I don't think, the excitement and the intensity of what that means. But moving along to Acts chapter 8, we read about the church having political and physical attacks. And so this little church that was based in Jerusalem is suddenly flung out of its comfort zone and people are spreading out all over the place to get away from the trouble of Jerusalem. And that's part of God's plan because he's actually sending people out into different places. My wife and I lived in China for eight years and we had association with a particular church there. And the religious police came along, called everybody out of the church meeting, took them into the car park, brought them in one by one, tell us the truth. And our policy was you always tell the truth. And so they told the church, you can't meet here anymore. Okay. Talk about shoot yourself in the foot. They knew about this church that met on a Friday night. They said, you can't meet here anymore. What happens? Four churches start up in places they don't know about, and instead of two leaders, now there's eight. And so the church starts growing. When you put it under pressure, this church is starting to move out and grow. As we jump into Acts chapter 13, we read about this thriving church in Antioch, which is north on the coast above Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas and a few others are sent out ostensibly to Turkey. And there's another Antioch called Pisidian Antioch, And this is where they head in Acts chapter 13. In verse 44, we read that almost the entire city came out to hear the word of God. Almost the entire city came out to hear the word of God. And the word of God is preached and the church starts to grow. God was and is transforming not only individuals but cities as well. Cities are coming under the impact of the gospel of hearing the good news about Jesus. And now we come to Acts chapter 16, and this is our focus for today. This is Paul's second missionary journey, and he's heading now to Europe. He goes to Greece, and Greece is part of Europe. 
And so in chapter uh, verse 13, we read of this picnic. There's a group of women having a picnic, uh, and Paul goes out of town because there's no synagogue at the moment in Philippi, and so he goes out to the, the outskirts of the town down to the river, sees this picnic, invites himself. He can see that there's some spanakopita uh, and a, maybe some falafel and a few other things. So he joins the picnic, starts talking to this lady, Lydia. She is a God seeker. So there's a, a divine appointment here. And so Lydia and the whole group of women in this picnic are all baptised. How good is that? Lydia is the first Christian convert in all of Europe. This is not some small thing. This is a very influential woman who has become a follower of Jesus. And I believe that she, was, she is the patron saint of Lakeside. Is that correct? The seller of purple? So obviously if she isn't, then maybe she should be there on the Lakeside crest somewhere in there. But uh, thanks to Lydia, the seller of purple, that, uh, that's part of her fame and her riches because... Uh, purple was a very expensive uh, product. So here is Lydia, the first Christian convert in all of Europe, and the light comes on in this woman's life and the life of all of her household. But then suddenly, in verse 16, it goes quite dark. There is a young woman who is filled with an evil spirit who goes around following Paul and Silas saying these are followers of the Most High God, shouting out in the crowd the whole time. This goes on for days. And eventually Paul, not very famous for his patience and tolerance of a lot of other people, he orders the spirit out of this woman by the name of Jesus. And according to the Greek, the spirit that she had was the spirit of a snake. Now, when I read that, <clears throat> it's not particularly surprising. Uh, we have had some dealings with uh, Tibetans when we lived in China. And I found out that Tibetan Buddhist priests, as part of their vows, literally take on the snake. They invite a serpent spirit to come into their lives. So when you hear about Buddhism, uh, yeah, it's not fairly innocuous and harmless kind of stuff. There are divisions of Buddhism where it is quite dark spiritually. <clears throat> so by the name of Jesus, this girl's life of demonic possession is finished. She is transformed. She is free. Now, we don't read any more about her. We don't know if she was part of the church in Philippi after that. But some people that owned her were quite upset, and so they take Paul and Silas to jail and eventually they are thrown into prison, take them to court and they're thrown into prison. Now it's very dark. In verses 22 to 34 we read, about midnight, 26, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up 
And when he saw the prison doors open, he threw his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And listen to this. And the whole whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. Now it's very dark. Paul and Silas are in prison. They believe that God had called them to Greece, to Macedonia, And so now they're in prison in stocks and they're singing. And if it was me, I'd sing probably, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No, not like that at all. Paul and Silas are praising God, exalting exalting their most high God. The prisoners, what is going on? What are these guys taking? If you watch TV, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a massive earthquake in Morocco. And as we were told in China, uh, and we had about 10 earthquakes while we were living there, um, that most people die of suffocation because of the dust. It's not the buildings that fall on you. It's the dust that created from the buildings crashing. And so the idea is to, if you have the time, grab a wet towel, wrap that around your face so you can breathe. And so we know from these earthquakes that Many people are killed, but this earthquake had a purpose. The chains and the stocks fall off, the doors are open, no one's hurt. This was an earthquake with a purpose. The jailer awakes, he's in panic, he's going to suicide because of the shame, because it's his responsibility to make sure nobody gets out. So he thought, rather than the Romans try me, I'll just do myself in because that's what's going to happen. But Paul, no, 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 stop. We're all here. We're staying. It's okay. Don't, don't, please don't do that. And the jailer's thinking, why are you so concerned about my life? You're stopping me from suicide. A man, a man who tortured you before I put you in the stocks, and you're telling me it's okay. Don't, don't hurt yourself. What, what, what kind of attitude is that? And so the big question the jailer asks, the question that all of us need to ask, and the jailer got it right, what must I do to be saved? Now the jailer probably knew very little about this Jewish God that Paul and Silas were talking about. Maybe he'd heard about the the girl being released, maybe he knew a bit of the hoo-ha about why Paul and Silas were in prison. Uh, and maybe he'd asked a few questions to find out a little bit. We don't know. The earthquake may have been a sign to the jailer that his gods, his little lowercase g gods, were happy. And so he thought maybe his gods were unhappy and it was judgment on him. Don't know. But Paul gave the only right answer 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. We've got to assume that the jailer's house was either next to or above the jail because they were all available, the whole family, two or three o'clock in the morning. And so Paul speaks to everybody in the house and explains the way of salvation. And the light comes back on. You read that in verse 34, joy, the jailer set a meal before them and the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. I love that picture. Joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Joy because they are redeemed. And maybe the jailer, perhaps he was the founder of cell ministries. I don't know. You got that. Thank you. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project. This is not about how you make yourself better. And I would often say to people, if you think that you're not good enough, that's exactly right. That's what makes you good enough. When you can accept that you're not good enough for God's love, that makes you good enough because that's the correct attitude to have. Stop trying to be good and start trusting in what Jesus has already done for you at the cross. And so we see the birth of a church that is transforming people's lives. A businesswoman comes to faith. A possessed girl is set free. A jailer and his family are all baptised. Very different people transforming their lives by the power and presence of God. And we read about the start, the history of the church, the Christian church in Europe. And I would encourage you, when you have a few moments, go home and read the book of Philippians. You'll read there that the church in Philippi was a great financial support to Paul. Perhaps it was Lydia, this seller of purple, we don't know. But we know that Paul's, a lot of Paul's financial support came from the church of Philippi. And in fact, uh, this letter to Philippians was a model for a lot of new uh, New Testament churches as they began. So I encourage you, read that book. It's a short book, only a few chapters, to get some sense of what was happening there. So God's power is seen through the Holy Spirit in what we read of Acts. In Philippi, the city was changed forever. Paul's visit influenced a very rich, influential woman a household, a jailer, his house. And we don't know about the prisoners, what happened to them and their experiences in jail. But hang on. This, these households, Lydia's household and, and the jailer's household, they, they, they don't know scripture. They've never been to an alpha program. They've never been to a baptism class. They don't really know what they're getting into. But we're coming, if we think that way, we're coming with a very Western idea of individual Christianity. And Eastern philosophy and thought pattern is very different. The New Testament model that we look at here is about communities of faith, families of faith. My family and I, we had the, the pr privilege of living in Singapore for a while and I was working in a church there and 
While I was there, I met a, a man called Jeffrey. This is in the mid-90s when we were there. <clears throat> Jeffrey had been in jail. He was a hardcore criminal into drugs, alcohol and whatever else. And one night he was at the, ed at the edge of taking his own life. The family had spent thousands of dollars taking him to shamans, bomos, all kinds of temples to try to break the bonds that were pulling Jeffrey down. Early one morning, as Jeffrey was about to take his own life, he remembered when he was doing national service, he remembered that his army captain, Richard, was a Christian. And so in the early hours of the morning, Jeffrey rang Richard and spoke to him, and that day, Jeffrey became a follower of Jesus. Good news, yeah? It's even better news. The following Sunday, I had the pleasure of being part in the baptism of 17 members of his family. 17 members. Why? They'd never been to an Alpha program, didn't know the four spiritual laws, never picked up a Bible, never been to baptism class. But they were sold out, and in Asian culture, to get baptised is not some symbol. This is really turning your back on your own culture and accepting a new culture. 17 members, and we asked them why. The power of God. This is Jeffrey whose life is turned around. If God can do that, then we're following that God. And so 17 members that Sunday morning, what a, <laughs> what a joy that was. I'm just reliving it now. They knew the transforming, powerful God. And the best bit, I'm saving till last, Jeffrey's now on the pastoral team of that church, involved in kids' ministry and seeing amazing things happen in his life. Because one man made himself available in the early hours of the morning to pray. Most people that I have met who are not interested in church are interested to see how we live out our life. Is our faith real or is it just something that we put on on a Sunday morning? Do we show respect? Do we show kindness? Do we show compassion? Do they see Jesus in us? What motivates us? People are looking for community, looking for belonging. You can see that out these doors every, every day. 8,000 or so people come here looking for community, a sense of belonging, a, a sense of doing something that's bigger than just me. And Acts reminds us that God's spirit is at work to redeem and transform the unlikeliest and the most diverse people into a family of faith. And so Jesus brings people together, transforming them into a family of faith. The next slide, that's it. So what does a transforming church look like? I believe it's about people's lives being changed. 
who want more about Jesus, who are building community, one life at a time, one act of grace, one act of mercy, one cuppa, one meal, one visit, random generosity because of what God is doing through his spirit, an outward-looking church that's seeking connection, seeking relationships, releasing people, a church that is a permission giver, we say yes. So if God has given you a vision, you want to start a ministry for macrame in your street, go ahead. If it's, if it's worth doing for God, I say if it's worth doing for God, it's worth doing badly. As bad as you think it might be because you haven't got the training and you don't, well, we'll do it badly because it's for the glory of God. Most people become Christian because they know one. They don't come to church meetings and suddenly heaps and heaps of people come to Christ. Most people become a Christian because they know a Christian and watch them rub shoulders and join, their, join alongside of them. So maybe you see a, a ministry at this church, a ministry in the community. Go for it. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's simply stepping out of the boat, taking that step. Never been there before, but if it's worth doing for God, do it badly. Or even better, do it better than that. But you'll learn as you go. Today, Sunday the 24th. Next weekend, grand final. But today... Sunday the 24th. And do you know what? This is also Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Choose who you will follow. To be transformed takes time and struggle. C.S. Lewis, in the book Surprised by Joy, talks about when he was a young boy, he... Uh, he found a cocoon and he was watching this butterfly come out of the cocoon. So I know what I'll do. I'll help the butterfly. So he got a pair of tweezers and very gently pulled the butterfly out of the cocoon and it died. Why? Because it needed the struggle. It needed to make the effort to come out of the cocoon and it needed time to grow and mature and develop so it could emerge ultimately as the butterfly that God intended it. If someone has told you that following Jesus is easy, I'm sorry to say, but you are given wrong theology. It is not easy to follow Jesus. Every day we are called to die to ourselves, to be living sacrifices. And Paul wrote in Romans 12, Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give yourselves to God because of all that he's done for you. Choose to be a living sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is what is your worship. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of our society, but let God transform you to be a new person.
So transforming takes time. And as I like to say, God is the God of ing, I-N-G. God is the God of ing. Because we haven't got there yet to be transformed. God is in the process of building our lives, of transforming. Thanks, Justin. God is building us. God is growing us. God is guiding us. God is teaching us. And so we can think about more of those, that God is the God of in. So today as I finish, I'd like to ask you a question. Is that your question? What do I need to do to be saved? I don't know many people here. And so forgive me asking this question, but it's something that I believe the Holy Spirit would want me to ask. Is that your question? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to get rid of my sin and my past? Is God's Spirit talking to you now about making that response? Justin, thanks. Most people are wanting something to believe in. Are you looking for that? Something to believe in, to put your life into? Someone greater than you that can take charge of your life? Someone that you want to follow? Is that you? That's certainly me. Most people are wanting for somewhere to belong. You want a place where you are treated well, where you're treated with dignity and respect and worth and value and meaning and purpose. That's certainly what I'm looking for. Most people are looking for a meaningful way to live, an adventure that God calls you to greater things than just about yourself. Greater things with divine and supernatural intervention. Is that what you're wanting? Most people are wanting to become somebody. Someone greater than themselves. There's got to be more to my life than this. A place, an opportunity, an atmosphere where you're encouraged to grow way beyond what you could have ever thought about your own life. Is that you? If it is, I'm not going to do anything else, but I invite you to stand where you are if that's you, that you want to be saved. You want to acknowledge Jesus in your life. I'm not going to look. I'm going to close my eyes now and pray. That's all I'm going to do is pray for you. Then we'll close. Let's pray. If you want to know Jesus, I invite you to stand where you are. We can chat later on. Please stand as I pray. Father God, thank you as we've read through this book of Acts. We've read some incredible things of the way your Holy Spirit has worked. We give you thanks and praise. Father, thank you that we never have to invite your Holy Spirit in or down. You are always here in our midst. And so, Father, we pray that you move by your Holy Spirit right now, encouraging people to take that stand for you. And Father, if people have stood, we pray for them, we lift them up to your throne of grace. 
We pray you pour your Holy Spirit on them to fill them to the top and overflowing with joy that their sin is gone. They are now yours. And if that's you, if you have stood, pray quietly with me these words. Father God, I bring my life to you. Please forgive me for my past. Please forgive me for the terrible things that I have done, thought and been. Father God, please accept me as your newborn child. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.